Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is the Sports Business Radio Virtual Roadshow, presented by Boingo Wireless, with special guest, Big Ten Conference Commissioner Kevin Warren. With the student-athletes that we have now, they're bright, they're hardworking, they're smart, they're tough, they're passionate, and they really do want to change the world. I thought by having a platform to bring our educators, our our student-athletes, our coaches, our players, our administrators together to move the dial would be really important. And again, we have some incredible things planned to continually just to amplify all of these issues uh, and, and focus on the importance of equity and diversity and inclusion. Now, the Sports Business Radio Virtual Roadshow, presented by Boingo Wireless. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our Sports Business Radio Show, powered by Boingo. I'm Mike Finley, CEO of Boingo Wireless. And we're proud to host today's exclusive conversation between Sports Business Radio's Brian Berger and Big Ten Commissioner Kevin Warren. As a former Division I athlete, the Big Ten is an institution I respect and follow closely. It's been remarkable to see how Commissioner Warren and the conference have adapted in the wake of the pandemic, and I'm looking forward to his remarks with Brian on today's show. Before we get to their conversation, let me tell you a little bit about Boingo. We're a global leader in wireless connectivity. We simplify complex wireless challenges and help stadiums improve operations and the fan experience. Our cellular and Wi-Fi networks reach more than a billion people annually, and you can find Boingo connecting fans everywhere from the NFL to the Big Ten. Boingo networks are at places like the University of Nebraska's Pinnacle Bank Arena and Soldier Field, home of the Chicago Bears. Our business is focused on powering a seamless and secure mobile fan experience, whether live streaming kickoff or using a mobile ticket, our networks keep guests connected. And as we navigate the pandemic, Boingo has helped teams implement strict health and safety protocols with wireless networks that facilitate touchless experiences like contactless entry and concessions. Boingo is proud to do our part in bringing us back together through sports. And on that note, it is my privilege to formally introduce today's conversation. I'll hand it over to Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio, to get it started. Brian? Mike, thanks so much. And thanks to Boingo for powering the Sports Business Radio Roadshow. I want to welcome Big Ten Conference Commissioner Kevin Warren to the conversation. Uh, Kevin is, he's been the commissioner of the Big Ten since January of 2020. He worked 21 seasons in the NFL, including 15 with the Minnesota Vikings, where he was most recently the COO of the team. You can follow him on Twitter at Kevin F. Warren. Kevin, thanks for joining me on Sports Business Radio. How are you? 
Uh, good. Good to be here, Brian. Good to see you. And, uh, and um, I'm, I'm happy that we'll get a uh, chance to spend some time together. Yeah, so many things to cover with you, but let's start with this. You and I were both, both uh, born and raised in, in Phoenix, yep. Arizona. Uh, Marcos Deniza High School, right? Yep, that's where I went to high school. What hospital were you born in? I was born in St. Joseph's Hospital in downtown Phoenix. How about yes, you? Me too. I was, Are you I was also I was born in St. Joseph's Hospital. Yep. Wow. In November, yep. No, November 17th in 1963. So. Wow. What a small world, huh? <laughs> yeah. So one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about growing up in Phoenix, your mom and dad were both trailblazers in their mm-hmm. own right. And mm-hmm. you used to attend the Fiesta Bowl with your dad every year. Your dad was one of the first black city council people. What did you learn from your parents that helped prepare you for your role today as conference commissioner of the Big Ten? I think, you know, my parents uh, was, you know, one, just an incredible blessing to be able to grow up in their house. I mean, they were very uh, uh, humble people. Uh, they were very educated uh, people. Um, they were very honorable, um, people and, 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 and they were, they were, when I say simple, I say that as a compliment. Um, so it, it, to be able to, um, have, you know, my parents, the impact that they've had on my life, you know, I was blessed because I'm the youngest of seven kids, but they're my oldest brother is 20 years older than me. And my next sibling to me is about an eight year difference. So I really got a chance to spend a lot of quality time, you know, with them. But, um, you know, they were, they were straight shooters. They were very demanding, uh, very focused, very driven. You know, both of them had their own kind of story of, of struggles uh, growing up. And, uh, and then we lived in a very complex, complicated time, especially from a, a racial uh, standpoint in Arizona. But they never complained. Uh, they were very hardworking. And, um, and, you know, I never, I never, my, my, my father, my entire life, I never remember him missing a day of, uh, of work. And, and my mom uh, went back and actually got her a college degree and her master's after she had me, she was, I think 40 or 41 when she had me. Um, but then when she started working, she didn't miss, so they were hardworking people. They were responsible. They were no nonsense. They're very disciplined. And I'm just grateful to, to many of the lessons that, uh, that they taught me. True or false, I read a story that you were down to business in high school. Did you take one of your dad's briefcases to school in high school? You were already taking a briefcase in high school. Yeah, that was, that was, uh, that, that was true. Uh, <laughs> and, and, you know, I still see running to people every once in a while from high school now, and they still tease me about it. Um, but, you know, it was so much easier to, to get around from a, you know, from a briefcase, have a briefcase standpoint. You know, backpacks weren't really big deal. It either came down, um, you know, where you're going to carry just almost like a duffel bag. And for me to be able to lay my, you know, papers out and, you know, strap them in and have pins and pen- pencils in there. And had, it, had, it, was, it was sleek. I mean, people tease me about it, but I say that I was a Renaissance person before <laughs> my time and I was a forerunner. And, uh, but yeah, um, I, I actually did carry a briefcase starting probably by my freshman year in high school. I like it. I think it's very efficient. <laughs> I think I think a lot of the issues that we have with our young people in high school, if they were required to carry a briefcase, they would they would probably, you know, be a little bit more calmer. And and um, but it, it worked out well. I was really I was really proud, you know, proud of it. And, and like I said, it was really 
it, it, it was organized and got a lot of grief in, in high school. But but I think now people understood what I was trying to accomplish. You have a legal background. Like I said, you worked 21 seasons in the mm-hmm. NFL, 15 with the Minnesota Vikings, COO of the team. How did working in the NFL and in business operations prepare you for your job now as commissioner of the Big Ten? I mean, I think the biggest thing is I was, I was, you know, Brian, I've just had so many angels that have been, you know, with me throughout my life, starting with my parents, as you talked about, and my, you know, grandparents and some of the struggles that they, you know, went through. Um, and, and, you know, e- even, even from, a, from a legal standpoint, um, you know, having a legal degree um, has, has really helped me out a lot, but I've had, had a list of angels, but one of them is the Will family, you know, who owns the Vikings. And, and they really were a blessing to me uh, because they provided me with the platform and the opportunity um, to really run and operate a very complex business. Um, you know, that all the way, yeah, was the football team a part of it? Yeah, it was a major part of it. Then when we got involved with the stadium and the practice facility and all the real estate development and all of those different things, it, it, I, it, you know, one of the, the things that helped me the most now is that operating the Vikings and all of the ancillary businesses that come along with it, it helped me to kind of deal in, in this complex environment. I think the biggest challenge in college athletics, especially at the conference level, um, you think about you have 14 schools, uh, then they span from Nebraska to New Jersey. Mm-hmm. So you have all kind of governmental officials in each one of those states. You have 6.4 million alumni, living alumni that are around the world, and they all kind of have different views of, of their institutions and what should or, be, should or should not be done. And then you have your chancellors and presidents, which is the board that I report to. But then you have your athletic directors, you have your faculty athletic representatives, you have your senior women administrators, you have your coaches, your student athletes, you know, all of those constituents and, you know, your bowl partners, your network partners. Um, and so when you bring that to bear, uh, I think the complexities of what we had in the NFL with the Vikings help kind of build a platform for me to when I come in, there is no normal day. There's no linear day. It's not like I can come in and say, okay, I've got this project to work on and I'm going to close my door and, and really get after it. It doesn't work that way. And, and, and you recognizing just like last year is that your decisions that you make, they impact all of those different constituents uh, in different manners and fashions at different times for different reasons on different days. And so you try to make those a decision that you think will land properly uh, in the right manner to make sure that we can continually move the conference forward. Interesting timing, right? So January 2020, you take over. Who in the world knows a global pandemic <laughs> is going to hit? Right. You lived in Minneapolis. The George Floyd murder mm-hmm. takes place. Yep. The world just changes drastically, and you couldn't see it coming. None of us could. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure you had goals when you came in on day one, but those probably quickly shifted when those two events happened. Yeah. I mean, one of the things and you're right. I mean, I, I, um, you know, was fortunate to have 21 years, you know, the most recent 15 years, uh, at the Vikings coming in here started in September, uh, of 2019 with Jim Delaney, who I just talked with a little bit earlier to get a couple months transition with him. And I remember vividly. And I actually have gone back and looked at this interview and I looked so young and rested and, and, <laughs> and, and light and happy was at the Orange Bowl. I mean, I'm at the Rose Bowl uh, after the game uh, when Jim passed the baton to me. It was an absolutely spectacular night in Pasadena on January 1st of, 
of uh, 2020. The weather was beautiful. And, uh, and I had an early, early flight back to Chicago the next morning, January 2nd, to officially start my duties. Had my to-do list and all my strategic plans and everything in place. And never did I know, like you said, a little over 70 days that the world would, would, would uh, come to a screeching halt. I actually looked at it the other day. I spent uh, a little over two months in the office, pretty much January and February. Uh, I did get a chance to go see 104 out of our 350 teams compete during that period of time. And wow. then mid-March, uh, it stopped. And so I only had, I had about 70 days to even start building our staff. And then we were gone. You know, we were away from the office, although I, you know, I was able to uh, come in because uh, other than my executive assistant, you know, we were closed. Um, is then you go to operating this complex business with, like I said, from Nebraska to New Jersey, all of these, you know, different sports in an environment that you've only been on the job in, in 70 days. Haven't even been able to be get on campus. I had gone to I think two campuses by that time, and now you're you're running these businesses uh, over over Zoom, and um, um, and so it made it for a complex in a global pandemic. I mean, I think five million people have have died from this, so we had to be sensitive to that and work through all of those different issues. So we just opened back up in August, and but you know when I look back over it, it was was it challenging? Absolutely, it was challenging. Uh, at the level that that um, uh, is 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 was there were some days that you really wondered how we were going to get to the next day, but even when I say that it was also an opportunity for us to come together. So as far as the strategic plan, I had to make sure that we were kind of always running dual tracks, staying on course as far as some of the things that we had laid out that we wanted to do, from mental health and wellness to social justice to voter registration uh, to a lot of the issues which we were able to accomplish the equality coalition. So stay on that course. But then also we then had to, you know, operate from a COVID-19 standpoint and make sure that we were doing everything that we possibly could to keep our student athletes, you know, healthy and safe. Um, and, and so as I look back over and look back over my notes and, and all the different things that we, you know, went through to, to get in our sports seasons last year, that's why every time I can go to a campus like last weekend in Nebraska and watch a uh, college football game and and then go to New Jersey on Sunday and see a field hockey championship game in the Big Ten and soccer and fans in the stadiums and student athletes having fun. I'm just reminded of what they all went through last year, what we all went through last year. So it's good to be able to be back, even though we're still navigating our way uh, through this global pandemic. You mentioned the mental health factor. Uh, the Big Ten started the Mental Health and Wellness Cabinet. Tell us a little bit about that, because I think that's pretty innovative. And you know, as the dad to a high school student, I've seen the impact that mental health has had on our students, whether it's at the high school level or the college level. And it's been pretty drastic. Yeah. I mean, where, where it really came from is, you know, I, I, I was in a severe car accident um, when I was about uh, 10 and a half years old in the summer of 74 was fortunate to live. And although you and I were both born in St. Joseph's Hospital, I spent uh, my recovery um, um, in downtown in Phoenix and Good Samaritan Hospital. And, and, and as I look back over that, out of all the pain and the turmoil and surgery and being in a body cast and traction, all those different things, not one time during that pretty much year journey of in a hospital and at home did I ever meet with anyone about my mental health. Mm -hmm. So I never met with a psychologist, psychiatrist, counselor, uh, anything. 
And so I realized as I got older and in college, you know, there were some issues that I, that I really had to kind of work through, you know, almost dying at a, at a young age. And then, like I said, the recovery and the rehab, the physical injuries, I still feel them, you know, today. Um, and, and so I had to work through them. And so, and then just watching my, my own personal kids, Perry and Powers, you know, they were both athletes in college and, and in high school and just watching their struggles and listening to their teammates. And what really, really opened my eyes is that it was Easter uh, weekend uh, before I even had interviewed for the job here. So it wasn't even on my radar. We took our, our son, uh, who at the time was uh, a freshman at Mississippi State. We, we took him, him uh, Powers, and a couple of his friends who were also student athletes in college. And there was one, one gentleman who was, uh, who was uh, uh, had playing a key role in his, in his team's um, success as a freshman. And I was just talking to them. At, at we went to church and we had brunch. And what's college been like? And they said it was good. It was a challenge. Um, but they were, you know, he was playing as a true freshman, but he said, the biggest thing is, you know, he was struggling with some issues with a girlfriend and academic, uh, academically, and then being away from home and, um, um, and concerned, you know, maybe had a bad game injured a little bit and, and went to, to get some help to talk to someone. And he said, Hey, great. You know, we'll be able to get you in and kind of looked online and said, you know, that it was going to be like weeks. Uh, before they could sit down and talk with him. And he said how, how lonely he felt because he had a roommate who told him, hey, man, don't worry about that mental health stuff. They're not going to be able to do anything. And then when he had to go back to his dorm room and say it's going to be weeks before he gets in and how lonely that was, that was kind of the light in my head to say when I got in a position, even this is even before I interviewed for the job, especially at the Big Ten, that we needed to create an environment for our student-athletes to, to make it safe, just as, just as if our student-athletes were injured uh, tore ACL or hurt their knee, that they would feel as comfortable and we would encourage them as much for them to go and get help for, for issues that they were struggling with from a mental health and wellness. And such is the reason why we formed the mental health and wellness cabinet. And we provide the call map to all of our student athletes and coaches, everyone in the Big Ten Conference. But we've made it, I believe, very uh, a comfortable environment where they can, they can discuss their mental health and wellness. Well, that's great. And it's so important what are some of the specific resources that you offer to the student athletes as part of this wellness cabinet? Yeah. I mean, one of the things is the call map that they, they receive that. Uh, and I've received so many notes and uh, just kind of thank you from, from student athletes who have, who've been able to, to, uh, to use it, whether it's from a sleep aid standpoint, from a meditation, from a relaxation standpoint, that's critically important. Important. The other thing is, like I said, we've made it very comfortable for them to be able to talk about these issues on, campus. And then there's even been a growth on our campuses from this, from this mental health and wellness campus to make sure that we get more individuals in those areas to provide the resources uh, to our student athletes um, because they do need help. And so to be able to get individuals who work in the, in, in the mental health and uh, wellness area on our campus to be able to talk about it is critically important. And you'll see some of the things that we're going to start even rolling out this year um, to address some of those issues on our campuses with our student athletes and to the greater public at large to, to make people feel comfortable uh, that, we're, that we're talking about mental health and wellness. The Big Ten also has the Equality Coalition. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about that because I like what you're doing there. Yeah, same time deal. I happen to be, as you said, lived in Minnesota for 15 years, was actually in Minnesota when George Floyd was murdered, mm -hmm. um, but was, was there. 
uh, in town and just really saw the impact of what it had in, in, in the community. It moved me so much because uh, that's not far away from where we go to church. Uh, I, wrote, I wrote a letter, published a letter, and, and, and uh, I think the Library of Congress actually picked it up and, and have, have it in the, from an archive, put it in the archives. But, you know, that really started the reason of why we morphed into uh, the Equality Coalition. We had to do something. Mm-hmm. And with the student athletes that we have now, they're bright, they're hardworking, they're smart, they're tough, they're passionate, and they really do want to change the world. I thought by having a, a platform um, to bring our educators, our, our student athletes, our coaches, our players, our administrators together to move the dial would be really important. And so they've been able to work on issues involving social justice, even for them to have a platform to be able to communicate it. We did something recently on Big Ten Network with the Anti-Defamation League, just on kind of hate on college you know, campuses to be able to talk about you know, those issues. Um, you know, it's critically important to just, again, just like mental health, to provide them with a safe space regardless of their background, their color, uh, to be able to address these issues. We were very active from a voter registration. It was uh, politically agnostic, uh, um, but we just wanted to make sure that we educated people from a social justice, from an equality coalition standpoint. And again, we have some incredible things planned uh, right after the first of the year uh, that, that, that we're going to activate with our student athletes uh, to continually just to amplify all of these issues of and, and focus on the importance of, of, of equity and diversity and inclusion. Yeah, great work. Um, I want to dive into some college sports topics with you. So NIL, name, image, likeness, that's been so big since it launched July 1st. Uh, the NCAA is recognizing it more and more. What are your thoughts on how to navigate this space? Because it's new. It's another new thing being introduced into the mix in the last year, and we've never seen anything like this before. So how have you guys prepared for this? Yeah, and a couple of things, and even back to the mental health you know, part of what you talked about, we hired our, the first chief um, medical officer, Dr. Jim Borchers, who used to be at Ohio State, now with his company, USCO, the United, um, uh, U.S. Council for Athletes Health, um, to, to lead our medical efforts, um, you know, which is really important. And again, like you said, we're probably in the most interesting, complicated, challenging time in college athletics. But for the first time in 150 years, our student athletes are in a position to be able to, to monetize their name, image, and likeness. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm pleased you know, for them. They've, they've earned that right to be able to do it. My big concern has always been uh, that we do all that we can to educate them the importance of handling money, uh, taxes, uh, dealing with their brand. But what, what, what better way can you learn about the importance of marketing and sales and branding and, you know, image and business and accounting and finance than if, if you're doing it yourself? And our schools have done a wonderful job of making sure that our student athletes are educated regarding those areas, um, you know, which is, which is really important and really, really good from that standpoint. So as of now, it's gone fine. I think the market is, it will dictate um, a lot of the NIL issues that we'll have to face with. One of the things I still believe strongly that we do need federal legislation, because if you, if you just look at what's going on in different states, it is complicated, um, made it more complicated than it should be when the focus should be on the, the student athlete and making sure that they can monetize their and capitalize on their ma- name, image, and likeness, that they're educated properly. So I hope uh, we can uh, create some federal legislation for us to be able to address those issues. From where you sit, do you have any idea 
when that may take place. Cause I agree with you. I yeah. think it should be same rules across the board instead of, mm-hmm. you know, different States having their own rules. Yeah. I mean, it, and, and people are still working through it, but I'm just, yeah. uh, you know, hopefully it's, 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 it's sooner than two, two later. Um, but at least the conversation is still going on. And I think, you know, there are people that recognize the importance of, of some type of stability and consistency in that area, especially in the NIL space. Yeah. The alliance that the Big Ten formed with the Pac-12 and the ACC, I thought that was interesting. I thought it was smart. I like how you're coming together, pooling your resources, Mm -hmm. helping a lot of the student athletes in those three conferences. How's that going so far? It's going, it's going fine. I mean, one of the things we continually, we talked about it when we, when we launched the alliance, we talk about it, you know, here on a regular basis It's, it's so much bigger um, than, than a scheduling alliance and coming together and schedule. Is that an important part of it? Absolutely. And you, you'll see that come to light. But so, so many of our you know, schedules are booked for you know, years in the future, but we'll work through those issues. But what it, you know, we felt it was important for it to help stabilize college athletics. We were in a, a, a time of, 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 tom- of uh, just complexity and uh, a transition um, in college athletics, especially when it came down to conference realignment. And so we just thought that it would help kind of stabilize of where we are and, and what college athletics needs to really, you know, stand for. And then now to be able to work with a couple other conferences and have an impact, positive impact, well beyond scheduling, but on mental health and wellness, on social justice issues, on, on you know, academic issues to go from, you know, 14, uh, you know, uh, wonderful institutions of 41 institutions is really you know, important. So I just think it's a matter of making sure, yes, that we can schedule competitive games, you know, with us. I mean, we're all separate conferences. We all, you know, compete on the field, but then that we can come together and have a positive impact on the lives of our student athletes. And that's really what it's about is just to make sure we keep our student athletes at the center of, of their, of, of our decision-making process and anything that we can do in a collaborative manner to address very complex issues now in college athletics, such as mental health and wellness and social justice, just to bring awareness and, and to provide them with another, another opportunity to, to learn academically, then it, it'll, be, it'll be well worth uh, the energy. I think when people look at major college athletics right now, they go, oh my gosh, it's a game of musical chairs. Mm-hmm. Teams are leaving yep. conferences, other teams are coming in to replace the teams that left. Do you feel like things are starting to stabilize or is this going to be going on for the foreseeable future? You know, I, I think I'm hopeful that it started to stabilize because uh, we need stability to be able to make progress. You know, it's tough to, to move forward on issues when things are moving. I mean, you know, who's in what conference? I mean, we had a period there, even the last couple of weeks, it literally, I mean, you probably thought the same thing I did, that every day you picked up uh, something to read, that there was some movement from another conference, um, you know, to another school from one conference to another. So, I just think it's important that hopefully things begin to slow down. We can get some stability, um, you know, in the marketplaces, the conferences can slow down. And, uh, and then that way we can start focusing on what's the right thing to do for our student athletes for the right reasons and, uh, and be able to start making on some progress. Cause there is a lot, I don't think there's, you know, ever been this much going on in college athletics at one time. I would say if we had one or at most two of these issues to deal with, it would still be a lot. Uh, right. But to have, you know, eight to 10 of these very highly complex, uh, complicated, you know, issues that have long lasting I- impact, 
um, it's important that we get some stability in the marketplace. Another topic I wanted to discuss with you, I read something the other day, $533 million is devoted right now to paying ex-football and basketball coaches dead money. They're not there Mm -hmm. anymore. They've Mm -hmm. left. People talk about amateur athletics, and it is amateur athletics, but when you see that kind of money thrown around and being paid out to coaches who are no longer at those schools, what do we do about this? I mean, I've had Mark Emmert, the president of the NCAA, on this show. I've had other conference commissioners on. It seems like this has been an issue for you know, 20, 30 years. Um, do we ever see a solution where we can you know, maybe solve that problem? I mean, I hope so. I mean, and again, I mean, this, you know, uh, college athletics is so competitive and, you know, people want to win so badly. And, and, um, and you look at some of the schools that have been able to kind of flip their programs and go from maybe losing to win, winning and the panache that it brings and um, the access and the visibility and all those different things. I mean, you know, sports may be a kind of small part of the student body population, but it's really the front porch of, of the majority of, of universities, especially, you know, in, in, in the A5. And so um, back from a stability standpoint, I just think the more that we can calm things down, get, get to um, a place where people aren't making knee-jerk decisions, that they're having a thoughtful long-term progress um, in their mind, the better off that we're going to be. And that's why I think that's been the, probably the biggest challenge for me you know, these last two years, it's not the issues. I mean, the issues, they were complicated. We can work through them, but it's just the, you know, the instability uh, of, of things that are happening on a daily basis. And I think it's something that, that uh, you know, from a college athletic standpoint, it, it, it's, it has uh, caused us all to make sure that we're uh, as organized and as thoughtful and detailed and structured as we possibly can be, because when's the next one? I mean, I don't think it's, a, you know, it's going to be uh, years. It could happen you know, something else could come up. And so I know I've tried to take that approach here at the Big Ten to make sure uh, at every level that we're structured properly, we're operating properly, and, uh, and we're taking more looks as far as uh, an analysis or, you know, looking into to certain things probably more than it had been done before just, just from an operational standpoint because, you know, we need to make sure that we stay as nimble and as flexible as we possibly can. Yeah, I mean, I really have to give you a lot of credit. I think since you've come in, and again, some of these things that have happened in the last year kind of uh, accelerated this, but mm-hmm. you've really modernized the conference. And, mm-hmm. and I see you doing a number of things, whether it's the, the mental health and wellness cabinet or the Equality Coalition or things you're doing with the Big Ten Network. I think you are doing a number of things to modernize the conference. Mm-hmm. And I give you a lot of credit for that. Yeah, I mean, we have a you know great... You know, staff here that always, my dad would always say, you know, form follows function. And, uh, you know, once we figure out what the you know, function of the conference is, then we have to create the form and the forum to be able to make sure we serve the needs of our, of our colleges and universities in a Big Ten conference. And, and also that we're doing the right things for the right reasons at the right time for college athletics in general. I mean, you look what's going on in this Constitution Convention with the NSA. There's just, there's just there are a lot of issues that are going on. And, uh, and we just need to make sure that, that we're doing all that we possibly can. The other thing that's been interesting is there's been no roadmap. I mean, you know, it's right. not like you could call someone to say, hey, when you went through this uh, in your conference uh, five years ago or three years ago, 10 years ago, it's not. We, we have 
literally multiple cases of first impression that we're dealing with that are all very important. So I think that's been the, 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 the issue that's caused probably the most stress uh, and anxiety is the fact that these are all kind of situations of first impression that we're dealing with, but, but they are all very important. One of the big opportunities, I think, in sports in general right now is the growth of women's sports. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. again, the Big Ten has always been a leader in women's sports. Um, from where you sit, where are those opportunities? I mean, I'm seeing increased TV ratings for the NWSL and WNBA, you know, obviously things like the Olympic mm-hmm. sports, but it looks like there's real growth opportunities here. And companies are finally starting to invest more in yep. women's sports. Yeah, I'm I'm a big you know proponent and supporter of that. I think even our Big Ten network, there have been some um, uh, announcements that I think 52 percent of all their linear programming will be uh, in, in in women's sports, which is great. I mean, we're down to the probably within the next week we'll be uh, hiring our first ever vice president of women's basketball. You know, for our conference, I announced that at media day. We have a Lisa Byington Award. You know, Lisa, who's who is the outstanding broadcaster who was at the Big Ten Network, and now she's the first woman broadcaster in the NBA at, at, at the Milwaukee Bucks, and we want to do something in honor of her. I just think that we have a fiduciary responsibility in college athletics, especially at the Big Ten Conference, to create environments uh, that allow for young, talented people, especially young, talented women, uh, to have a chance to break into sports, so to earn their right to lead uh, and be leaders. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm grateful at the Big Ten Conference. We're, we're uh, doing all that we possibly can to make sure that we are, are fair and equitable, and, uh, but that we provide opportunities for women to, to take big roles. I mean, we hired a uh, deputy commissioner and our chief sports officer, Dinah Sable, who was at Ohio State for many years to come in. And, and, um, and so I just, I'm, I'm, I'm energized every time that I, I look at all the opportunities from a diversity, equity, inclusion standpoint that exists. But we're going to do our part here in the Big Ten uh, to make sure that we continually support, empower, uh, and promote uh, women to key positions. Speaking of the Big Ten network, the media space is quickly Mm -hmm. evolving as well. We're seeing more streaming. uh, We're seeing more audio out there. How are you guys being nimble and, and innovating around the growth in, in the media space. Yeah, we're, I mean, fortunately we have, you know, great, uh, you know, partner and uh, partners really in Fox and, and um, uh, for, for our sports and big 10 network and, you know, CBS for, for basketball and ESPN for, you know, basketball and football. We just have great partners. And what we're trying to do is to make sure we stay nimble. I mean, you know, over the next couple of years, I think you'll see continued growth, um, you know, in the linear market and in the OTT market. And, and uh, but, but in this environment, like you said, in, from a media standpoint, it is ever changes. It literally changes every week. And so uh, we, we have some talented people internally. We have talented relationships. And, and this is something, I mean, I, I spend every single day, I spend time on something related to uh, our media platforms um, in some form or fashion, whether it's currently or uh, looking looking down the road in the future, so I'm 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 excited about it. It will be just continually be a challenge, um, but I'm I'm really excited of, of the of the uh, impact that we can have in college athletics based upon you know our, our media platform. How is the Big Ten prioritizing tech powered experiences for game day? Again, when you go to a venue now, whether it's a football stadium, a basketball arena, 
people want to post on social media, they want to capture those experiences, share those experiences. How are you guys uh, working around that? Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that I think being in the NFL helped, you know, helped me. I mean, mm-hmm. we had our, we did a lot in the media space at, the, at our Vikings. We had VE and Vikings Entertainment Network that we started and launched. And, and then, the, you know, the NFL, the impact that it's, you know, had in, in, uh, um, um, in, in the whole media area. So I was able to watch kind of firsthand uh, the importance of it and the importance of staying nimble. And what we tried to do and will continually try to do here is to basically meet all of our customers where they're, you know, where, where they are at and situated. So if they're home on their couch, what can we do to, to amplify uh, that relationship? If they're driving in a car, what can we do to amplify that relationship? If they live uh, in London, uh, what can we do to amplify that relationship? And uh, as I said, the key of it is, is we've been blessed with, you know, incredible, incredible partner and, 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 and Fox and, and, um, and, and big 10 network and the, have our own kind of platforms to be able to do it is, is, has been, you know, powerful. And then, like I said, working with CBS and, and ESPN is, is really important. But again, over these next couple of years, I think you're going to see uh, the, the organizations that are, that are creative, that are forward thinking, that can deliver content in a very kind of, uh, uh, as I call it, easy manner are the ones who are going to separate uh, themselves uh, from, you know, from the pack. But, but I've, I've enjoyed it. Uh, media is an area that I have always been uh, intrigued uh, have in, and enjoyed working in that space. And I'm always on a daily basis looking for ways that we can just continually fortify um, uh, our media platforms in a Big Ten conference. A couple minutes left. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think most people are pleased with the format of the NCAA basketball mm-hmm. tournament, men's and women. There's always a lot of talk about college football. Should it be four teams, eight teams, 16 teams? Big Ten's got some pretty good football teams right now. And mm-hmm. if you had eight or 16, I think you've got several teams getting in with four, not as much of an opportunity. If you could decide, you know, what that college football postseason landscape looks like, what do you think works best? I think access. I mean, uh, you know, quite naturally, I'm personally for it. I know our conference is personally, you know, for expansion. The key question is, what's the right number? You know, mm-hmm. at the at when's the right time, uh, and what are the right right we- reasons? I mean, we have a again back to your first question to me, balancing all these constituents. I mean, we have our student athletes, the health and safety, both physical and mental, that we need to be focused on. Um, you know, we need to make sure we're focused. The, we have playoff games in in the north and 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 uh, Midwest where we live, that uh, those those stadiums and fields are properly conditioned and winterized to keep our student athletes healthy and safe. We have to remember our student athletes on our campuses to get an education. You know, that has to be their priority. And, uh, and so we need to, to make sure from an academic standpoint that they have time in their academic calendar to be able to take final exams and go to class and, and be there for their reason. We need to make sure from a healthy health and safety standpoint, they have enough time, you know, for recovery. And, you know, the, the fans are important. You know, fans enjoy it. And so um, I think it's the right thing to do. The key of it, uh, the key of it comes down to, you know, we have five years remaining on our contract. If we do um, uh, make a decision to, to do something earlier than the end of the contract, it, it has to make sense. And, um, and, and it has to be done for the right reasons at the right time. So we've had some really productive meetings. We were just in Dallas recently. We're going back in a couple of weeks to continually work through these issues. We take these issues really seriously. 
And I know all of us want what's best for, you know, our student athletes and to make sure we balance all of those different interests and balance them in a manner that, uh, that does the right thing for the right reasons at the right time. How often are the power five conference commissioners getting together? Uh, well, you know, we've been together in Dallas for the CFP meetings a lot lately, but we talk on a weekly basis. We have a, we, we talk on a weekly basis just to talk about issues because the same issues that we're facing here, the same issues that, that, uh, my colleagues are facing. And I think when we can share best practices and work through, uh, those issues, we started that back in the COVID, uh, period. It, it just, it just helps, you know, helps our conferences and helps each other. All right. Before I let you go, I know you're based in Chicago, right? Yep. Yep. Chicago is one of my favorite cities. Uh, I'm a great city. Yeah. Um, it's a foodie town. Yep. I need like next time I come to Chicago, I need a, a recommendation. What's a good restaurant that I should go to? Well, we, it kind of depends on what kind of food you want, but uh, there, there are some great, great restaurants here. But if you're staying downtown, uh, you can't go wrong with Joe's Seafood. I mean, I'm sure you've had that. And and as a quiet point there the key element is make sure you get the fried chicken there it's a, they don't promote it a lot on the menu and i know it's not healthy so i limit myself to probably only <laughs> eating it four to six times a year uh, but if you want to do something different but there's so many great restaurants here uh in chicago and, and you're right it just it just from a history standpoint maple and ash is you know phenomenal i mean there's there's just so many uh phenomenal uh great restaurants here and and even some great breakfast places. I don't get a chance to do that uh, often. A couple weekends ago, I actually went to breakfast for the first time in probably nine months and, and really, you know, enjoyed it. So, yeah, I love food. I, 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 that's why I work out like a wild person to make sure that I can eat. And, and for most days, I just drink. That's why I keep all these bottles of water, uh, water on my uh, eat and just eat one meal at night so I can really eat, eat what I want. Um, life is short, and I think we need to make sure we – take the time to enjoy it. And hopefully when you come to Chicago, we'll share a meal together. That would be wonderful. Yeah. There's no better person to take me around and, and show me uh, the spots than, than you. <laughs> Commissioner Warren, thank you so much for joining us here at the Sports Business Radio Roadshow presented by Boingo. I think you're doing a great job and I really appreciate your time. No, thank you. Thank you for everything you stand for. And as I said, congratulations on everything you do, not only on this show, um, but you know, with your sports PR summit, you're changing the lives of so many people, especially uh, people who are interested in the business. And we need really good people in here. So thank you. Thank you for being uh, uh, so professional, uh, hardworking, a man of your word. And I appreciate uh, working with you. And so I'm always here. Uh, anytime you have me on, I will love to come back on. So appreciate your work. That's very kind of you to say thank you. And who knew we were both born at St. Joseph's Hospital in <laughs> That's Phoenix, right. Arizona. You can't beat that. That's right. <laughs> thank you okay. so much. Well, good, good to see you. Good all right, to take see care. you too. All right. All right. God bless you all. Bye-bye. There's no question that live sports and entertainment events are changing as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. To ensure a strong recovery that keeps fans safe and engaged, sports venues are reimagining game day with Boingo's 5G connectivity solutions. Boingo Wireless helps partners across the NFL, NBA, MLS, and NCAA redefine the in-venue experience with 5G-ready cellular and Wi-Fi 6 networks that power new touchless technologies. From contactless ticketing and security and in-app food ordering, 
to IoT robotics for cleaning and maintenance, Boingo's backbone of wireless connectivity makes new stadium use cases possible. Choosing a digital transformation partner you can trust is key to achieving fan experience goals and following rigorous health and safety protocols. Boingo is the largest operator of indoor wireless networks in the U.S. They help world-class venues navigate a complex and ever-changing technology landscape and have done so for 20 years. I recently had Austin FC President Andy Lochnane on Sports Business Radio. Here's what he had to say about Boingo, Austin FC's 5G partner. A relatively competitive process led to a relatively easy decision. The decision to go with Boingo was one that came with a lot of comfort and confidence. Now more than ever, staying connected is what matters most, and Boingo makes it all possible. Our thanks to Boingo for their continued support of Sports Business Radio. If you need a trusted partner for your network and digital transformation needs, look no further than Boingo. Learn more by visiting boingo.com or emailing sbradio at boingo.com. That's sbradio at boingo.com. This and every SBR podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and your favorite listening app. Follow Sports Business Radio on Facebook, Twitter at SB Radio, Instagram at Sports Business Radio, and online at sportsbusinessradio.com. Sports Business Radio is produced by Brian Griggs and Griggs Productions, griggsproductions.com.